podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor O'Gara. Marler, I said going into last weekend that there wasn't football. I stand corrected. Yeah. There was football, just not football really worth watching. Man, the Pro Bowl is unwatchable. I, I yeah, it's bad. I was going to lead with, I've got a joke, the Pro Bowl. Yeah, that's fair um, also. It's, I honestly, I put on on Twitter yesterday, I was like, what are you guys most excited to see in the Pro Bowl? And the overwhelming response was, nobody, because the Pro Bowl sucks. And I was like, oh, come on. No, it, it does. It, it, it did. So I live 20 minutes from, from the Pro Bowl. I could have gotten tickets for 10 bucks, maybe. Yeah. Never crossed my mind. No. No reason to. Never crossed my mind to even go. Beautiful no day in Orlando. Whatsoever. It was, yeah, it was awful. That Even if it was beautiful, though, I would have no desire no. to go to the Pro Bowl. I did, I, well, um, yeah, we'll talk about it. I, I did like the fact they had Saquon, or Saquon Barkley. Yeah, and you'll learn how to say that right when he's like a Hall of Famer. I guess, maybe. Saquon Barkley and Alvin Kamara as edge rushers, I'm there for that. Like, it's, that, that was pretty cool. I didn't watch it when it happened. I just saw it on SportsCenter. I'd just rather take the highlight anyway. Yeah, the Pro Bowl and Senior Bowl are basically, don't watch the entire things. Just wait for something to kind of go viral or yeah. wait for somebody something noteworthy to happen and then catch that. That's pretty much how I treated both of those. Right. Um, because, fun fact, we were in St. Augustine this weekend. So Nice, yeah. Uh, Lobster, mac, cool. and cheese. We saw it. Dude, it was. Whew. That's uh, That should be illegal. So... I'll be honest. I didn't watch. I didn't watch the. I didn't sit down and watch the the Senior Bowl. Followed along with all the coverage throughout the week. Followed along with some of the post game stuff that came out. And from what I could tell, it looked like Drew Locke had himself a really, really good week. Yeah. I promise this is the only thing Senior Bowl related that we're going to talk about today. We have some stuff that we're going to get to about the NFL draft. We have Super Bowl prop bet extraordinaire whoop, whoop. Chris Marler, Uncle Chris. Going to bring you all, all of that stuff. And then we have uh, some things that we're going to get to uh, related to Hugh Freeze and, of course, fourth and wrong, all that. But why I was wrong about Drew Locke, it all played out this week. And I, I've gone back and forth on, on this whole, like, is Drew Locke going to be a good NFL player? Is he worth being this first-round first prospect? It's, it's been a roller coaster. I mean, let's you could say honest. you hedged. Oh, I hedged hard, hard, big time. At this time last year, though, or I guess a little bit before, when he was deciding whether or not he was going to go to the NFL draft, I said, dude's got to go to the NFL draft. You are only given so many opportunities to be a first-round quarterback, and if that's what he can become, the rest of the development will take care of itself right. at the next level. So that was my take at this time, or you know, 13 months ago, whenever it was. So Drew Locke has this weekend where he's kind of the star quarterback of the Senior Bowl, uh, and he looks... He looks the part. He looks comfortable. He looks relaxed. Uh, you know, people afterwards, like Matt Miller, our, our friend over in NFL, he's NFL Draft Scout on Twitter. Everybody probably follows him already. Praised his performance, said that he was looking a lot better with his footwork, yeah. having worked with Jordan Palmer. And there's something to be said for that, absolutely no doubt. But I thought that this interaction, and, you know, John Gruden had this comment after where he said, like, Drew Locke looks like the real deal. And all these, all of a sudden, people are like, oh my gosh, are the Raiders going to draft Drew Locke as, as the replacement? That's a different discussion for a different time. But Drew Locke shared this interaction that he had with John Gruden earlier in the week. And basically, Gruden sits him down at breakfast, and Gruden asks him about the Bama pick that he threw, that you were there to see. Yeah. It was a terrible Savion throw. Smith. I mean, yeah. it was one of those throws, like, he had, Drew Locke had like half a dozen plays this year. And I could go back to the one that he, where he threw the pick six against South Carolina, mm-hmm. too. That one was real bad, where you're just like, Wait a minute. 
if you saw this at the Pop Warner level, you'd be like, come on, th- this this can't happen. Well, remember, we talked about this for three three or four weeks in a row where he had done something. You were like, he has this moment in a game where you're like, no, 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 no. And then he does it. And you're just like, and it got worse and worse each week. And finally, November came, which is obviously the month of Mizzou, I guess. But yeah. it was, you know, there was a, a couple weeks in a row and you're like, because you look at the Bama game real quick, like that pick he threw, that's like on a go route to, to Albert O. And he's being guarded by, by Savion Smith, who's a corner. Like, if you don't put that ball up, only where Albert O can go get it over Savion Smith, he's not going to come down with it. And what he did was just put it on a line, and he threw it to the back shoulder of Savion Smith. <laughs> like, he threw it way inside. So Gruden asked him about that throw, yep. and he says, you know, he's got to find out what exactly his thought process was like. And so Drew Locke is, is, is explaining this to Gruden as, as he retold at, at a press conference. And he explained his thought process and basically like why it looks so horrible right. on tape. And Gruden apparently said afterwards, okay, that makes a little bit more sense. I get it. And then, you know, the two of them talked a little bit more offense after. But Drew Locke had this quote, and I thought this was really indicative of this whole process. And it really shows why I was wrong about this to have the take that I had right. last year. And so Locke says, quote, again, it's just another example of why I should have stayed that last year. I would have come in there and had my eyes like this, with his eyes like bug-eyed, talking to Gruden. I would have had no idea what he was talking about. I would have been really overwhelmed, and now I was sitting there talking to John Gruden like, I'm ready, shoot your shot. And I think that that just kind of like speaks to his confidence. We've talked about that a lot before, about just the the mindset that he has, and you know, he's almost to a fault, you know, with, with some of the throws that he makes, he's very confident in himself. But to me, that's more of the mental side and what he's gained from playing in Derek Dooley's offense and actually having an understanding of how to go through your project progressions and do things a little bit more like a pro quarterback. And I'm willing to admit now that I like his draft stock a lot more and I like his outlook. I'm not saying that he's definitely going to be a success because he obviously still has flaws. But I like where he's at a whole lot more right now than I ever thought I would at this time last year when we were talking about him coming back. Yeah, I mean, when you, you talk about the same game, um, against Alabama and, and you know like that South Carolina game I've long since maintained that Mizzou should have won that game and he was not helped by Albert O being injured Emmanuel Hall being out but also in the rain they dropped a minimum of four True. touchdowns so like I mean like not just passes touchdowns um and you know talk about the same game against Alabama though there's in late in the first quarter and when he they're, they're driving and they're probably inside I think they're inside the 15 and he drops back and he went through his progressions he had all day to throw so credit to Mizzou O-line but like you know he waited and waited and then next thing you know he finds Alberto in the back of the end zone wide open and it was it was good to see him be able to go through his progressions and because a lot of times like the first thing you're going to see from a rookie quarterback especially if they've come in too early and they don't get time to develop and, and kind of back up another quarterback is they don't go through their progressions. Everything's too fast for him. So it was good to see him be able to do that. Also, I will say, it was probably also easier for him to talk to Gruden now as opposed to last year because we've all seen yeah. the failure that ensued in Oakland under John Gruden. I love John Gruden. Love Spider 2, Y Banana, all that kind of stuff, which I'm sure is what they had for breakfast. Regardless, that also probably made it a little bit easier. And that haircut, it, terrible haircut. Yeah, it's, just, it's not the best. I, it's just really rare to hear somebody come out and say, like, I would have had no idea what I was talking about last year. Right. He would have admitted, had he been going to the NFL, it would have been like, yeah, it's kind of just based on my physical abilities and really nothing there mentally would have made a whole lot of sense to me. So credit to him for recognizing that because 
you know, I was critical of the move at the time and saying that if you have a chance to go be a first-round quarterback, potentially, which there was no guarantee he was going to be that last year, but he was rising up draft boards and the way that he performed down the stretch, the November yeah. that he had, there was certainly a chance. And I think right now there is a much better chance than I thought a, you know, a couple months ago when we were talking about you know how he's ruined his draft stock playing in Derek Dooley's offense and how with without Emmanuel Hall, all these weaknesses come out. And I think that maybe even just going through that has kind of forced him to learn how to – improve with some of those intermediate throws, right. not having the lazy footwork. So that's my long-winded way of saying, I think the odds of Drew Locke breaking this first-round drought of SEC quarterbacks, which there is a drought. I mean, Johnny Manziel, last one. That's right? crazy. I mean, that's, that's, that's bonkers in itself. I, I think there's a chance that he ends up being the guy who breaks it. And Jared Stidham, by the way, also had himself a great weekend and is you know a guy that <laughs> – we knew was going to thrive in this process yeah. because of how he handles himself and the fact that, you know, he's one of these guys that like Drew Locke. They just handle themselves They handle themselves well in shorts. Don't take that out of context. No, he, he is definitely, we've said it before, Jared Sidham is, the, is the, the girl in the late 90s rom-com that took her glasses off and like, oh my gosh, she's pretty. Like, oh, he's out of Gus Malzahn's offense. That guy's actually pretty good. That's that's what Jared Sidham is. He's a good quarterback. I mean, I think there's three guys I think that made themselves a lot of money this week. Actually, four. I think Locke. I think Stidham helped himself out a lot. Debo Samuel was Big time. legit all week. And then Montez Sweat. Montez Sweat, man. Good. Like, we talk about it. Like, they, they, they reference us several times. It's stuff that we already knew, like, you know, coming from an SEC podcast. But, like, he has the whole factor of, like, when he gets off the bus – He's intimidating. He's everything you look for in a football player from the moment he steps off the bus. And it was good to see him be able to go out there and make, you know, a name for himself. Because it's I don't think I don't think he lived in Jeffrey Simmons' shadow by any means, but I'm sure he was benefited a lot from being on that D line. So if Montez Sweat went to Bama or LSU yep. or Georgia, top ten pick, Easy. no doubt. Hands down. No question about it. I think it's holding him back. I think the fact that he you know, it was a guy who, who transferred from Michigan State and then, you know, gets to, to Mississippi State and, you know, isn't necessarily um, a guy who is demonstrative. He's not he's not flashy. I mean, he's never been. The fact that he stayed throughout his senior yeah. year at a place that's not, you know, one of these premier programs After playing a double-digit sex. Both you, I mean, it's it's unbelievable the production that, that he's had in the, in these last two years. Right. I think we kind of take it for granted. But you get him in some of those one-on-one matchups and, yeah, Stupid. forget about it. He's... He made, he made some money. He'll continue to, to rise you know up some draft boards. And I'm going to give him his due because I've ragged on him forever. And he, I didn't realize he uh -oh. was in this bowl. I thought he was in the Werther's original Senior Citizens Bowl, not the Reese's uh, Senior Bowl. Hunter Renfro made himself some money. Our guy. I mean, that guy, he, he killed it. I, they watched, I watched some of the routes and stuff like that, like just the one-on-ones. Legit. Legit. Gritty, they call him. Gritty. Perfect. Real lunch pail guy. There it is. Yeah. Um, so Senior Bowl, we're I mean, we're, we'll have plenty more takes when when the combine comes around. We don't want to talk too many specifics in terms of draft stock, unless there's a big story that comes about, like somebody fails drug test, right. anything like that. But I promise we will have plenty of talk about individuals as it relates to the NFL draft. Somebody who's not quite at that level, but maybe could be in a couple years potentially. Or even in a year. That's you know Me. you never know how these things work. I'd give you a little bit more than that's a year. fine. A little that's bit fine. More. A little bit more. Nick Starkle is transferring from Texas A&M. The quarterback who at this time last year we thought was the favorite to win that job over Kellen Mond had 
outperformed him significantly. Jimbo Fisher comes in there and he had the, the game, the Belk Bowl, where he throws for 499 yards, and it's the first time Jimbo is watching AM. And I, I basically said, I don't know what Kellen Mond can do this offseason to show that he's more worthy. And I thought Starkle was going to be the guy to, to win that job. That ends up not happening. Starkle ends up not starting a game under Jimbo Fisher, and he's out. But he's out in doing so, and, and I think was the, the perfect possible way. And I think this is kind of the model for what transfer quarterbacks you know we talk about them all the time in this era of transfer quarterbacks and how everybody wants to leave now i think the way that nick starkle went about his business was perfect and i i commend him for it because i think there are a lot of different ways that he could have gone off track throughout this whole process and credit him because he didn't do it and now he's sitting in a position where he's got two years of eligibility left he's going to graduate in june he grad he's going to be graduating early getting his undergrad and then he'll essentially try and do the Joe Burrow thing where he goes into a place and, you know, maybe he's able to lead a contender and who knows what the, what the market necessarily is going to be. But I just think that the way that he went about this process has to be commended because yeah. we talk all the time about guys leaving early. And I know we there was some backlash with the Justin Fields stuff, but I think Starkle is just in such a different class for so many different reasons. Well, and we talk about the Jalen Hurts thing, giving him praise where praise is due right. and all that kind of stuff. And, yeah, a guy like this, Starkle has been – one of those guys that I've joked around about a lot and purely because the Justin Bieber thing. And 100%. I have a newfound respect for him because you like what you like. And, and this kid did it the right way. He really did. I mean, tip of the cap to Kellen Mond, he had a great season. And, and you know, I think what it says even more about Nick Starkle is that he's going to finish out his time still after the semester at AM. And he's not going to cut bait and run. He's, he's doing what's best for him, and he's still doing the best thing for the team, which I thought was great. I thought he could have left after fall camp yep just you know done the basically what happened in the Alabama quarterback room back in 2016 where Jalen's the guy and everybody kind of knows it and all of a sudden you know guys just are leaving left and right and there's not really a whole lot you can do to stop that but he stays around and I think going from the wave of emotion of realizing that Jimbo Fisher a guy who you call him a quarterback guru or not but he's very well respected in this industry and he, he has had a lot of NFL quarterbacks and you have to think that him coming in for Kevin Sumlin is going to improve your chances of getting to the next level. Yeah. I, I would I would think that. So you go from thinking, I, and if I'm Nick Sarkle, I'm thinking, I, I know I'm going to be in a competition, but I have to be feeling pretty good about my chances when Jimbo Fisher steps on campus because of how significantly I thought he outperformed Kellen Mond. Kellen Mond completed like 50% of his passes against SEC competition as a true freshman. I mean, he was bad. Yeah. He was not good. No, he was not and, good. <laughs> he was not good. So for me... You know, Nick Starkle could have could have left after, you know, maybe middle of August when he realized this wasn't going to be his. And instead, throughout this whole process, he's not pouty. Every time they no. ever showed him on the sideline, I was waiting for one time where that kid would have the wrong look on his face, and he never did. And here's somebody who, if you follow him on social media, you know how positive he is. He always does the, the hashtag, always smiling. Yeah. You could say that's fake if you want, but I think people there would be more of a backlash and he wouldn't be as respected as he is by his teammates how could how could that guy not be loved in that locker room you could make fun of the beaver stuff all you want which we've done here yeah. before but <laughs> i i just i i can't say enough about like a kid who just kind of seemed to get the bigger picture and went about this process the right way and make sure that he could graduate now he's got two years to play elsewhere and he's going to get a chance to do that I, so i still i want him to work on his game on and off the field and you know last year we joked around about the ice cream date you know, where he was trying to find the ice cream date on Twitter. Like, that was bro, weird. carry yourself with some more confidence. You're Nick Starkle. 
Um, I, I, you know, just he is always smiling, which is that's a nice positive because like you talk about the Jalen Hurts thing, you look at the sideline. If he had his like his helmet like on the back of his head and, and he's just sitting there like he's always got this calm demeanor is what everyone says it, but he's kind of straight faced and not really giving you much emotion. Like Starkle was the exact opposite. Like like you said, at any point it could have been like, oh no, something's wrong, trouble in paradise, like kind of stuff. Never did it. Now that being said, I want you to work on your confidence off the field, your game. Right. And so we talk about these transfer situations and like in, in destinations. Ohio State, I don't like. Okay. So here's the thing. Report surface, I think it was Letterman Rowe that reported this on Friday, I want to say, that there was apparently some mutual interest between Nick Starkle and Ohio State. And you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We think Justin Fields is going to be able to play in 2019. Why would Nick Starkle go to Ohio State when Fields has two years of eligibility left? And that's exactly how many Starkle has left. Well, two years before he can go to the NFL, I should say. We don't think that, that Justin Fields is going to stay for three years at Ohio State as of right now. So that's fair enough. So the only way that that happens, obviously, is if Fields is ineligible. But Ohio State's backup situation right now is dire. And if that ends up happening, then Ohio State is going to come out like gangbusters and try and get a backup quarterback to play, or somebody that can play immediately in 2019, which that would be the void there. So for everybody who's wondering about that whole situation, I mean, and if you're Starkle, it makes a whole lot of sense to go there if you know you're going to play there for one year. Because think about this. If you put up monster numbers yeah, this year, he has the size where he could he could theoretically go to the NFL if he were to put up big numbers in Ryan Day's system. I know that's a huge Dude, if. Dude, he's got two years of eligibility left. Who's second on this list? Second on this list for? Destinations. Duke. Oh, for Destinations. Go I, play I, with I'm, David Cutcliffe. Go play with David Cutcliffe. Get, I mean, get yourself two solid years under one of the best offensive minds and quarterback coaches in the history of college football. Like, go go play for him, hands down. I get the appeal if to go to Ohio State. I just don't think – I think Duke is – like, if you have the chance to go play for David Cutcliffe, I think that outweighs – and you're right, Ohio State, if he could go there, go there and play right away, it he would have draft stock. I think you're right, that would help his draft stock. I think it would be awesome to be able to compete for championships, all that, all that kind of stuff. But if you have the opportunity – and you're, I don't want to say a fringe guy that no one's really talking about him for the NFL right now. Nobody's talking about his draft. Right, exactly. If you have the opportunity to go learn under David Cutcliffe, look what Daniel Jones did this year. Exactly. No, I and I I based this list on the people that he started following yeah. on Twitter <laughs> yeah. after he made this announcement, which, of course, as we know with recruits, as we know with transfers, that's the best way to try and figure yeah. out where somebody's going to end up. But I, I agree with you. It, it, I, if I was putting money down today... I would say that Duke would be the, the, the place that most, makes the most sense. And by the way, who do they open the season against? Alabama. He almost beat chance Alabama to, two years ago. Chance to make him? a little bit of money. Uh, or Hawaii. Go to Hawaii, dude. I've never understood that. I've, I've said it since I was like 14. If you get five official visits, why are you not going to Hawaii for one of those visits? Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Crazy it's, the, it's the USC thing. Everybody always takes a visit to U- yeah. USC or UCLA. If you don't have one of those in your, in your final five, I mean... I guess you just hate bad weather and yeah. or hate gorgeous weather. I, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, but so what Nick Starkle does by by doing this, of course, he allows James Foster to keep his red shirt. And Kellen Mond was sacked 34 times in 2018. That was like fourth most in the country, yeah. I want to say. 
I mean, he, he gives Jimbo Fisher a, a safety valve and ends up going about his business the, the right way. Even though Jimbo said a couple weeks ago that he thought that Starkle was going to be there for spring practices, I don't think anybody can fault a kid for realizing, look, I, I can still play maybe at the Power 5 level and get to the NFL. So right. uh, credit to him for, for doing just that. Okay, so this is something that we haven't talked about a ton but I wanted to kind of circle back to some of this because some news came of this in the last week. Hugh Freeze, a person that many SEC fans are very familiar with. I don't know if you saw this, but this happened, I think, like last, when was it, like last Wednesday or last Tuesday? I don't know when it was. Hugh Freeze goes on 3HL in Nashville radio station, and he discussed his interest from Alabama and Auburn and Tennessee. And he had this quote where he basically said like he had dreamed of coaching at one of those, you know, at one of yeah. those programs, and which we're led to believe is Auburn, because he had another quote about how he had always talked about working with Gus Malzahn and how he appreciated how Gus fought for him, but that uh, it didn't work on other people's ends, and that basically Sankey. It could, <laughs> yeah. You, Greg. Well, not not just Sankey, not just Sankey. It was it was Auburn. It was Auburn administration yeah. that that nixed it. At the that's time. a bad look. Yeah, it's a bad look because we see that you know there was rumors that. That Auburn was was trying to nix this because it didn't want to offer multi-year deals to coordinators, and then yeah, Dillingham gets end up ends up getting a two-year deal. So I, I don't know what to really make of that. But Hugh Freeze confirms this report that he wanted to basically go to Auburn and that the higher ups weren't on board. And we're talking about somebody who is still obviously very much wanted within SEC circles. Um, yeah, that's he's a good the whole reason mind. that. Yeah, I mean, he's viewed as this great offensive mind in the sport. But I just, I, like, looking back at some of this stuff, I went and found some of the numbers from his time at Ole Miss. And it's it's making me think think twice about this, this belief that he's this great offensive mind that should be coveted by so many different SEC teams and that they should do whatever they can to try and get him on board as their next offensive coordinator. Go back at his offensive ranks at Ole Miss. Five years. 2012, his offense ranked number 46. 2013, 56. 2014, number 7. That's worse every year. 2015, number 8. And then 2016, his final season at Ole Miss, his scoring offense ranked number 42 in the country. Now in 2015, to be fair, they had Swag Kelly, they had Laquan Treadwell. Mm -hmm. Who else did they have on that team? Offensively. Offensively, they still technically no. I guess they didn't have AJ Brown yet. They won a Sugar um, Bowl, which was big. They had, they had Wilkins then. I don't know. They would have Jordan Wilkins. Yeah, I think Tight they would end. have had him too. Yeah, I mean they were they were loaded. They had, I mean, they had Evan Ingram. Oh, that's end. right. Gosh. Um. So yeah, they they had a they had a really good offense. They had Larry Tunsil at left tackle. Uh, Bobby Massey was definitely gone. But, yeah, so they had a good offensive line. And Kandichi on the defensive side. Like, they had some defensive playmakers, obviously, when, you know, back when they were in total dorm. Denzel Kandichi, who will beat you on and off the field. Hey. No, thank you. Um, So, after he beats Bama in 2015, his team's averaged 31 points a game. It's a ridiculous game. Which, all right, you might think 31 points a game, it's, it's pretty good. And because of what he did at Bama... People obviously had their eye on him. In 2016, it doesn't work out. People could point to the Swag Kelly injury as the reason that 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 team kind of folded, whatever. There was more there, in my opinion, but whatever. 31 points per game 
against Power 5 competition after that 2015 win against Bama. Iowa was 44th in the country this Anytime past year. Anytime you're below with Iowa. That. Anytime you're below Iowa in an offensive category or being compared to them, not good. My my point here that I'm that I'm that I'm getting to is that how much really of this Hugh Freeze stuff is just because of those two bands? 90%. It's unbelievable how much we've kind of overlooked and just sort of forgotten about and not necessarily the just the escort service if you want to get into that all right fine I would that's really only that. one piece of this okay hold on <laughs> let me let me jump in here and, and I, here's why I'm, a lot of you are gonna immediately think like okay uncle chris coming off, off the top rope because he's a bama homer blah 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 let me explain to you why all of this happened gus malzahn paved the way for somebody like hugh freeze this is a high school football coach who had a lot of success mm-hmm. he was able to come in have a lot of immediate success as an offensive coordinator, and then, lo and behold, first year as a head coach, takes his team to a national championship game. They lose, obviously, but everyone kind of assumes, like, oh my, oh my gosh, like this offense may work not only in college football, but maybe in the SEC, which is the toughest, like, toughest conference in all of college football. Fine. So Hugh Freeze comes in. Ole Miss was never a program that was a traditional power. And I'm not saying this is a slight to Ole Miss. I, I have always – Oxford – Fantastic place, okay? Fantastic place. They've had a lot of good players. They had Eli Manning. They had Archie Manning. They had Patrick Willis. A lot of big names that have gone on and had NFL success. However, they had never had a staying power in the SEC or on a national scale. Hugh Freeze comes in. He improves the offense. And and what does he do in almost his first year? That 2013 recruiting class where you bring in a top five recruiting class with LaCron Treadwell, the number one receiver in the country out of Illinois. You bring in the number one offensive tackle in the country. Um... Why am I drawing a blank now? Because I keep thinking Larry about Messi. Larry Tunsil out of Florida. And then you bring in the number one player in the country out of Georgia, Robert Kendici. So he has this massive, massive recruiting hall. They've never had a top five class. And of course, all the, you know, we know what happened with that class, how he got it. Fine. Regardless, he brings that in. They still didn't, they weren't world beaters. They beat Bama for two years in a row. And the reason that's a big deal is because it is the first time. Do you know how many times Ole Miss has ever beaten Alabama twice in a row? I'm going to say never. Once. 2014, wow. 2015. They had never done it in the history of that entire program. Well, well I mean, before that. Yeah, yeah ever. I mean, so it never happened before. So it's a big deal, and you're coming off the heels of, this is the most vulnerable vulnerable time for Nick Saban while he was at Alabama. It's, you come off the 2013 year where they're supposed to be, you know, they'd won three of the last four. They lose into Auburn in the kick six. They go into the next year, and they lose in the first round of the playoffs. And they, they had lost to Ohio State. They'd also lost to Ole Miss that year. Then you come back the next year, and it's like, oh, this revenge game. And you're at home. And they lost to him again. Granted, they didn't have five over, or five turnovers, and three of them were inside their own 25-yard line, regardless of all that. And that don't even get me started on that ridiculous play off the top of that guy's helmet. All that happens, it, make, it makes sense. It's, I think it was like a perfect storm to kind of brew up this whole mythical level of like, this guy's a great coach. No, he's not. He's a good recruiter. He's a good coach. He's a great offensive mind. I don't necessarily think he is a great head coach, especially in the SEC. What I will say is this. Nobody's talking about this, but his first quarterback recruit, General Booty. Oh, yeah. Wow. There we go. Gonna be stuck. Like that. I just I would I would question the belief that he is still a great offensive mind. I I'm I'm gonna need to see it. I'm gonna need to see him doing some some crazy things at, at Liberty and for them to all of a sudden put up a ton of points, a team that just went to FBS and moved up that level. I'm going to need to see some some big-time things because I question maybe 
is it crazy to think that maybe the game has kind of caught up to him and we thought that this guy who's this great revolutionary offensive mind, but the game has transitioned so much in the last in the last few years where really a lot of people now are running the same system that he was running. They're doing a lot of the same spread principles and they're able to kind of beat teams. And I think defenses have in a way caught up to it, but at the same time, I just think there's more people who are able to do what he does. And I question why his services are being considered such a premium when if you look at the numbers, I mean, that's one top 40 offense at Ole Miss. And we view him as this great offensive mind just because of those two Bama wins, despite the fact that... It's a familiar face, a familiar name, and he has that on his resume. And I think everything you're saying is a good point. Like, you're throwing out logic and reason in a conference and in a fan base that doesn't always immediately revert or default to logic and reason. I mean, yes, like, eighth. If you would have told me he had one top 20 offense, like that's crazy. That's a cr- one top 40 offense. One top 40. Yeah. That's 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 nuts to me. And I mean it's it's hard for me to say like the narrative's already been built so long ago because it's like again, I think this is why. I think we've laid out why it is. But it's the same thing in, you know, what happens in the NFL. Why do we have the same carousel of coaches that happens and they get the same kind of they're the same guys hired as a head coach, as an offensive coordinator. Like, I mean, Dirk Cutter is coming to the Falcons. He, we've already fired him like less than five years ago. So Adam Gase. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's yeah. Adam Gase is going to a team in his own division after being fired. Like he's not even having a year off. So I think it's one of those things where it's a familiar face, and and that's it's something that a lot of either football programs or teams or whatever ownership uh, decides to go to. And I think that he's he's really benefiting from that because and you know what's what's weird too is Liberty has already I hate to say it they've already kind of like made their splash on the national scale I know they just went up to FBS but you're talking about a team that in I think its first game ever in the FBS two years ago they beat a Power Five team on the road at Baylor. Yeah, I mean Baylor you could debate really wasn't a Power Five team at that time. But they were a Power team. Five team, Connor. <laughs> Chip and Joe would not agree with that. that Absolutely me, not. But, um, you know, that's, that's the thing that I, that I keep coming back to here is that if you just take those, if you take those two wins off, off of his resume, which I, I wish they would, if you just try and look at it with a clear mind, but it really, I mean, so much of this has come down to that. And in a way though, but like, that's also why I get at the same time, why Gus wanted Hugh Freeze so badly, because not only would he be at his mercy, but he has another person in his corner who has beat Saban, and that's what Gus Malzahn is judged on at at Auburn. And so if you're trying to figure out the reasons why he was so coveted, I get that from that sense. And, you know, Gus Malzahn was going to run that offense. He was going to do things the way that that he wanted to. But um, hold on a sec. Ooh, sick brag. I just got retweeted by Dan Mullen. Um, You did? Fun fact. Yeah. Um, It was an ice cream truck outside my apartment complex, so guess who's really winning the day? Sick brags for all of us. (laughs) With Hugh Freeze, though, let's say he does get an SEC job. Let's say in 2020, which he's been very open about wanting to get back to the SEC. Did Dan Mullen retweet your thing about the the SEC draft numbers? Yeah, because Florida's number two. I'm screenshotting what you have under here. Did you you send him our Google Doc? Is that why? No. Singing his praises. We'll get to it in a minute. Anyways. So what what I I think is is interesting is if you're – if, if you consider this, Hugh Freeze, if he gets a job in 2020 in the SEC, if he does eventually get that coordinator job, he doesn't have people like Greg Sankey saying that, you know, you can't come into the SEC. He doesn't have administrators being like, ah, no, we don't want you to hire this guy. And he does get that, finally, he gets that job. 
Consider the people that he's going to be recruiting. 2020 recruits, <laughs> when he won that game against Bama back in 2016, they were in eighth grade. Like, the, re- the relevancy, life comes at you fast in college football, and a lot of time has passed since Hugh Freeze was a relevant fixture in this conference. Okay. And to me, I, I, I just I question really how big of an impact he's potentially going to have on somewhere because we've – we have treated him like he is this this great offensive mind that just has that one thing holding him back. But I, I think there's a little bit more to that. Well, so here's the thing. How big of a deal does it need to be? I mean, like, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, and I should have looked at this beforehand. How many how many coaches have beaten Saban back-to-back? Les Miles, Steve Spurrier, Les Miles, the only yeah. two others. And then... Um, Wait, Spurrier? Malzahn... Yeah, but that wasn't that wasn't at Bama, so that was he beat him in two thousand ten. No, that was in what two thousand three for LSU. No, he no Spurrier didn't Spurrier. Well, he might have done it with Florida versus LSU. That's yeah. Okay, but yeah, I mean, there's... so if you're you're talking about, I believe, I believe, two coaches that have done it. Right, and and that's that's what he's coming back to though. That's that's the thing that's at the top of his resume. That's that he can say that. Oh, hey, by the way, you know. Been able to do this, and if you want to get to that highest level, I'm your guy. Yeah. And that's what I think has just been at the at the root of all of these these talks and why he has been able to get a lot of these opportunities and why he is still viewed in such a high regard because that, that has just had such a staying power. So I quick two over-unders that I want to get to with, uh, with Hugh Freeze. How many jobs do you think he was really offered in the SEC this past coaching cycle? I set the over-under at 2.5. I mean, it's contingent on whether or not, like, like I have zero doubt it was over two and a half that those every school I think would have been like yeah 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 you you got a job here if the SEC approves it so so Bama Tennessee and then Auburn yeah I easily okay. easily I, I there's zero especially now with what's going on at Bama I don't think there's any question that somebody would have offered him some kind of role how many years until he is back in the SEC I'm gonna stick with that two point five I'm gonna say over. it's over. I think it's right on the money at two or three years, and and the reason why is this. So, but I think the biggest question is, what does he come back as? Like, what kind of role and capacity does he take a step down from being a head coach for an FBS team to become an offensive coordinator in the SEC, or does he get a head coaching job somewhere? Honestly, I think I think we are like you talk about like the what have you done for me lately, and the the mentality of like you know like time comes at you fast thing with college football. It's been five years by twenty twenty. You know, if he if, if in 2020 or 2021, 2022, we're that far removed from what he was able to do in a regular season win that really didn't result in anything besides that one New Year's Six Bowl berth, I think you're, you know, I think there's going to be enough other names out there that he will kind of be forgotten. I think, you know what he'd be perfect for? Is if Derek Mason's ever ousted at, at Vanderbilt, he'd be perfect for Vanderbilt. I don't know if that's happening anytime. I don't think it is. I I mean, and I really don't think, again, it depends on like how big of a deal are we going to make out of this? He was able to scheme and game plan against one coach for, that's what his whole resume is. Yeah. And not to, not to take away everything from him, but yeah, I'll, I'll be interested to see the way that this, this shakes out over the next couple of years. Listen, I had a, this is somebody brought this up and I was going to say it for fourth and wrong, but it kind of seems like noteworthy now. I mean, I don't think I'm a dumb person by any means. I don't think I'm the smartest man in the world. I got a 1240 on my SAT. I don't think that should be at the top of my my you know resume for like, here's why I'm a smart person. You should trust me with this and that. I got one time, I did really well on a test. That's basically what he did. He had a high SAT score, one t- or two times. Good for him. Yeah, I guess so. Very impressive. I wish I could have done the same. Um, okay, so 
I told you that we weren't going to talk individual SEC draft stock a ton, but I threw this out there about, and this was the aforementioned, oh, Dan Mullen just retweeted me, um, thing that I just said. I broke down the amount of SEC draft picks per team during the playoff era. So that's not including what we expect to happen in this upcoming draft. And it's essentially taking, um, you're, you're looking at the drafts from 2015 to 2018 because if they were in the 2015 draft, they played on the 2014 roster, which means that they were playing in the playoff era. So um, I'll run through these real quick. And these are updated numbers. Um, so Bama obviously has the most, 36. Florida, second most, 28. LSU, 22. Georgia, 17. Auburn, 16. Ole Miss, 14. Mississippi State, 13. Arkansas, also 13. AM and Mizzou, both at 11. Tennessee at 9. South Carolina at 8. Vandy at 4. Kentucky at 3. I was interested to throw this out there and just see what the reaction was like. See what people <laughs> were going to say. What people's biggest takeaway was going to be. And I think the big takeaway was, holy cow, Florida. And maybe that's why Dan Mullen just retweeted that, despite the fact that sure, all those people went to the draft, even though he didn't coach them. Right. So Florida has 28 draft picks during that that four-year stretch. And I think people look at that, and depending on what your narrative with Florida is, you could take that one of two ways. You could say to yourself, oh, my gosh, how did Jim McElwain not win more games at Florida? Yeah. How, how did they have seasons that were that rough? You know, even Will Muschamp's last season, which was 2014, how is that team not better? You know, why, why does this team not have the wins to show for How do you not have a single quarterback? Right. And then I, I also saw the other take of, well, Florida, actually, if you look at it nationally, they were 13th in the country. That was their average recruiting class ranking during that time. Right. And then if you just base it on, okay, they've had this many NFL players during that stretch, they're doing a pretty good job developing. It just hasn't always shown up on the scoreboard. So you can kind of go one of two ways. But there's a very strong – I've noticed Florida fans have had the strongest reaction Shocking. to that. Does, I mean – it makes sense, right? I mean, yeah, but so here's the thing also that Florida fans are not going to not gonna admit. And if, if it's, yeah, that's an impressive number. That's an impressive number. When you really get into it, I, I don't understand how you have that many draft picks. And not just that you weren't better, but you were so bad in a time when the SEC East was at its weakest point, maybe since they Good switched point. into two different divisions. Like, and I fully mean that. Like, it might have been the weakest they had been the East Division had been since 1992 when they first went to two, two separate divisions in the conference. Because that is, oh, it's Treon Harris started in an SEC championship game. Gosh, what a time. What a crazy God. time that was. It's, I mean, it's crazy to me that they could be that bad. I mean, but so you talk, think about this, yeah, too. Go ahead. The other thing with, with Mullen, and I'm, now I'm just going to compliment him like crazy. This is, I knew you would, and I, you're, I'm going to tell you why you're wrong, but go ahead. It makes his rebuilding job much more impressive. No. Now I know what you're saying. I know what you're thinking. Wait, he those aren't his players. He didn't. He doesn't get credit for that. Exactly right. But think about all of that outgoing talent to have all of those to lose all those players no. to the NFL draft, and because those players weren't on that roster um, this year, we're not talking about that. And that team won four games last year, and to have that much talent leave, and then also be coming off of a a four win season to be able to do what he did in year one, which is win the first New Year's Six Bowl that the Gators have won in the playoff era. To me, that makes it even more impressive when you look at 28 players to the NFL over, during that stretch over before. Four years. So also he got into a team, he came into a team that had 20 returning starters. He, do you think, 
I know we didn't know who Juwan Taylor was before he got there. Do you think he did? True. No, he didn't, and he didn't recruit him. He walked into a an offensive line that returned over a hundred and twenty starts from from last year. I mean, is that possible? Yeah, yeah. I guess it is. Yeah. Possible. So you go in like Martez Ivy, Juwan Taylor. Those are your tackles. Martez Ivy was a five star, and I think the number one overall tackle in the country coming out of high school. And then you have this other kid, Juwan Taylor. That oh, lo and behold, I saw the other day. I forgot which one it was. But I think it was Dickie or um, what's his name, Brooks, uh, Bucky Brooks. Bucky Brooks. I think he was eleventh on his on his NFL draft big board. So. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not not trying to take away from what Dan Mullen did, and I'm sorry, Florida fans. A 10-win season's great, and, and it's a hell of a turnaround from where it was, and uh, enough can't be made of... It, he did what, what should have been happening, I think, under Mac. I mean, that shows you, I think, more so how bad of a coach McElwain was, more so than how great of a coach Mullen is. These aren't his players. These like, And I, I think that the sky's the limit for where he's going to be when he starts recruiting his own guys and all that kind of stuff. However... You caught Florida State when they were in a down year. You still got Tennessee when they were down year. And then you get LSU at home. Not to take away from that win because it's a big win. It's a, it's a really close rivalry. But you got blown out by Georgia. You lost to Kentucky for the first time in 32 years. And what was the other one? Uh, Mizzou at home when you painted the damn end zone, Zorn. So, I, I mean, not to be critical, but I don't think it's time to praise Mullen for the rebuilding job. I thought Florida had a great season. I think it says way more about – about the like the character of those kids that stuck around True. for such a long time and they were finally able to come over the hump because they were good. And it, it probably did take the right guy to to get them to that, but like let's also call a spade for a spade and you know it is there are a lot of things that helped out Dan Mullen in his first year. Florida fans okay. are gonna one of those in. things one of the things that didn't <laughs> no they'll, they'll, they'll be fine. I think we balanced it out. Um, one of the one of the the things that won't help him out was was Kentucky because that Kentucky roster was different than what we expected it to be. And at that point in the season, we're like, how in the world is Kentucky going to end this streak? And Kentucky, if you look at this, only three draft picks during this stretch. And the subject that you got into a nice little Twitter argument about <laughs> so was about just how Kentucky was going to be able to rise on this list. Okay, so let me give you guys a background on this. Um, <laughs> Frank, what's his last name? Frank Fowler, who produces SEC This Morning. And I love him. Great show. Great show. Uh, listen to it. Definitely listen to it every Tuesday morning at 7.30 a.m. Eastern uh, with our good friends Peter Burns. And they may or may not have a certain guest from the SDS podcast that has a regular segment on it. There time. you go. So, yeah, definitely listen for Connor, humble brag. Um, it, that was my favorite show every morning during the season. I'm so pissed that it's not on SEC Network anymore. And I'm also pissed. Serious XM, though. Well, I mean, yeah. So I downloaded it last week on Wednesday, and it was Darinoka, which I love Darinoka. That's fine. And and um, and Jacob Hester, but there's just, you know there's nothing like my man Peter Burns and Chris Doring. So anyway, Frank Fowler, great guy, smart guy. He's, he follows me on Twitter. It's my probably my biggest brag on Twitter, I guess, at this point. Regardless, him saying Kentucky's about to soar up this list. They are 14th on this list. He just responded to my tweet. Says, "Yep, yep." <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy, I'm walking. Okay, so I think Frank Fowler is also watching me as we're as we're talking about this and recording it. Regardless, they were they're at the very bottom. They're third. To say they're going to soar up this list, me being the cynical smartass that I am, I responded with to where thirteenth. Because you start doing the math, like is Kentucky going to have close to eight people? Are they going to have Tennessee is going to have Jawan Jennings drafted? Can we agree on that? Right. So they're going to be at 10. South Carolina is going to have Debo Samuel drafted. Can we agree on that? Yeah. They're going to be at 9. 
I don't see Kentucky soaring up this list. And I know that you you went back on it a little bit after you kind of saw the whole spectrum of this yep. argument, but you immediately said, you were like, I think that's a safe bet. And I was like, no. Well, Frank Fowler said that he thinks that Kentucky is going to soar on this list in a few months. And I said, I think that's a safe bet. What I didn't realize what he said was in a few months. Now, at the time, I had actually had a different figure down for South Carolina. Right. I had South Carolina down for... Uh, or I had Tennessee down for seven instead of nine draft picks. So I thought, okay, yeah, Kentucky could easily have five, have like five draft picks this year and jump up two places. And that's not saying anything that crazy. But then actually when you go back and you double check the numbers and you realize, okay, it would actually take Kentucky having about seven draft picks or eight draft picks to be able to, to move up significantly on this list. And and so (laughs) where we kind of got off the rails is – I was like, so 13th, and we kind of got this back and forth, and I was like, because they're not going to – when you say soar, that's a vivid verb, man. And when you, mm-hmm. you talk about going up this list, it's like – I mean, Debo Samuel is definitely going to get drafted. I would assume there might be a, you know one or two other guys from South Carolina that are going to get drafted. Um, I, I don't think they're going to – I think they're going to have a great year. But you look at Kentucky, and I'm not trying to pin them down into like this basement-dwelling team that they've been for years because this is a hell of a year, and it deserves to be recognized, and I completely agree with that. I've said – Numerous times, even as a Bama fan, Josh Allen. If I'm if I am an NFL team and I'm picking first, Josh Allen is is the first person coming off my board, and it's definitely from the SEC. I know you are have ties to Big Ten stuff like that, and you probably know more about about Bosa. Fine, if Bosa's gone, Josh Allen is the first player from the SEC coming off my board. Whoa, 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 whoa. <coughs> what? So all right, so you're telling me that that. I because I, I I can't let that that take just slide right past. Oh no, Josh Jacobs. If you have the number one Josh overall Josh Allen. Pick, Did I say Josh Jacobs. I thought you said Josh I'm, Jacobs. I definitely meant Josh, Josh Allen. Allen. We're talking right, about Kentucky. Go ahead. Go ahead. Good lord. Oh, I got scared. I got scared. Sorry. There. Drifted in and out. Okay, so probably should take out this cop drop. Anyway, so um, Josh Allen is the first person I'm taking off the off the board. That being said, Benny Snell's gonna get drafted. You know. The tight end, Conrad, he's going to get drafted. The safety's going to get drafted. I can't remember his name. You you love him. Edwards. Yeah, Edwards. Bunchy Stallings not being on the list is surprising to me. There's a lot of people saying that he might he might somehow go undrafted. I don't see how it's possible with, like, you talk about the experience he's had as a starter for so many years. And he was an AP All-American. That's crazy to me if he goes undrafted. But for Frank, Frank to say, just casually, four guys are definitely getting drafted. You have three to five other guys that have a very good chance of getting drafted. Do you have a tweet in front of you? No, I don't. I would, I would have to pull it okay. up. He said something to the extent of he would be surprised if, if way more people than expected. Right, and there's drafted. a potential for three or three more guys after that. And I'm like, hold on, we're talking about like 13 dudes getting drafted off Kentucky. The record for, for most players drafted off of one team, do you know what it is? Is it Ohio State? No. With, or is it, 2000, is, is it 2001 Miami? They had the most Miami? in the first round with six. It is 2000, six. or 2017 Alabama. They had 12 players drafted. There's a lot of other teams that had 11. I, I'm not saying Kentucky doesn't have a lot of draftable players and a, and a great senior class. What I am saying is when you start talking about double-digit te- like players getting drafted off one team, that's you're in very, very high regards, and you're talking about a very few amount of teams that have ever been able to do that. The most Kentucky's ever had drafted off of one, in one year is eight. That's the only time they've ever had more than four players drafted in a single draft. That happened in 1979. They had eight players drafted. That's that was a 12-round draft. Way more rounds. Yeah, yeah. yeah that doesn't count. So, but, but I'm saying that's the only time they've ever had four guys, four more than four guys drafted off of in one single year. So I think that's a crazy, crazy thing to just throw out there. 
Uh, I love Frank to death. You know, I love you to death. I just, I, I thought that was a crazy take and I couldn't let it, let it go. I will say this. You guys, you did make a good point. And, you know, we'll just do the whole build you up, bring it, break you down thing. I guess we'll do it backwards this time. Break it down, then build you up. Then you said in our Google Doc here, holy cow, that's some serious lack of development at Tennessee. I, at first, I wanted to defend Tennessee, just to argue with you, because, I mean, Tennessee has had three different head coaches. When you start talking about, like, the recruiting classes that go into affect these draft classes, you're talking about going back all the way from, like, 2012 that, to when they're draft eligible. That's when Derek Dooley was still there. They've technically had... I guess if you keep- no, it's 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 Butch Jones, and then you would want. I mean, Butch Jones was technically the coach throughout this entire time because you're only factoring in the 2017 season. You're not factoring in 2018. Right, but yet. if you so go back to 2015 is- when you started this from the playoffs, like the 2014 team, that's those are players that were recruited as early as 2012. With for the I know, but that's eligible. still right. But they're still. I mean, they're still only playing. They're still playing for Butch Jones in the in that in that era. No, Derek Taylor was there in 2012. I understand, right? I, I understand, but it's still Butch Jones who is taking over for those those programs and is still having the final say, even in 2014. So my my point is is that given what expectations have been at Tennessee, given what we thought this program was going to be on the verge of potentially in the beginning of that 2016 season, for them to have only had nine players drafted in a four year stretch is real bad, and and that that number is not going to change no. a whole lot this year. Um, it's going to take a little bit of time for that to happen, but that just kind of shows you the lack of talent that they've been working with, and to, I mean, to, to their own doing in, in very many ways, right. and that's been a big topic of well, discussion. And when so, you talk about the nine players, right, and you talk, you talk about how serious lack of development, and like, yeah, as much as I try to excuse it, if there's like that many different coaches and all the turnover, blah, 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 you still look at Florida, who was in a very similar situation with right. Muschamp and McElwain and now Mullen, and they have 19 more players drafted. You brought up the stat. They finished 13th. In, in the national recruiting uh, rankings during this time, right? That was the av- that was somebody tweeted that that was the average ranking for Florida recruiting class for Florida recruiting classes during the playoff era. Do you know what the average ranking for Tennessee was from the 2012 to 2015 season for rankings? Could have been much further behind. 14th. That. Yeah. Crazy. I believe that. Yeah, and it, that's that's to me. So that's when you look at those raw numbers, you're like, holy cow! Mm-hmm. That that needs to change. Obviously, it's not just Tennessee has all this talent that they're just not winning with it's they're not even developing in them and that's that's the the frustrating thing from a tennessee standpoint yeah. so a&m and in georgia i think five years from now we're going to be talking about them in a very different regard georgia has 17 which is less than half as many as alabama and a&m only at 11 there's no way that's going to continue no. with, with jimbo yeah. fisher five <laughs> years from now that's that'll, that'll change in, in a hurry in my opinion we've already seen some of the the fruits of his labor in year one with guys like Jay Sternberger and Travion Williams. So uh, how about that? That will change. How about Penn Definitely. state and Notre Dame yes. at 11 and 14? That blew my mind. Yeah. So I threw in some notables here just, just to kind of give you some perspective. Cause I only, I only wanted to look at the sec. I had some people tweeting at me like, Oh, you should do the entire top 25. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I, know, I have all the time in the world, bro. Yeah. Um, so Ohio state during that same stretch had 31 and I, I had thrown out there cause I, 2016 they had they had at least 12 draft picks. Didn't they have like seven wrong. or eight underclassmen? Yeah, they had, they had a, a whole lot. That was an unbelievable team that really underperformed throughout that entire season. Yeah. So Florida State had 23 during that stretch. And you think, all right, well, that's one more than LSU, but still five less than Florida. All in the Florida offensive State line, apparently. All that success. <laughs> Jeez, that's amazing. Here's, here's another interesting one. Clemson, only 23. 
during that same stretch. Florida had five more players during the playoff era so far get drafted. And now, obviously, we expect that number to increase, and it's a little bit of a different discussion if we're projecting a couple years from now. But that still, to me, says a lot of like, holy cow, Clemson has still, and probably really similar in the in the recruiting rankings during that four-year stretch compared to where Florida is, but for Clemson to have the on-field success that they've had, despite that the fact that they haven't had 30 NFL guys in, in that four-year stretch, is pretty amazing. I mean, really. Yeah, that's nice. So then Oklahoma at 18, which half as many as Alabama, I think that's a little bit, that, that makes a little bit more sense to me. Um, Notre Dame at 14, and then Penn State all the way down there at 11. I have a James Ra- James Franklin rant that I'm saving for another time <laughs> where I'm just so out on him as a developer uh, for a lot of different reasons. But Bad hair, um, bad attitude. <laughs> I'm not going to hate on a bald man for his hair. That's just not fair. No. He's had enough. Yeah, he's had enough issues. I thought he chose that, to do that. It's a <clears throat> Um But so I think when you compare it, the SEC is still – there are still like – you, you would look at the, the amount of NFL draft talent, and if you look at the top eight SEC teams, they've all had a 10-win season during that stretch, except Arkansas. Yeah. Yikes, Brett Bielema. I mean, but so, and, and, like, Alex Collins had to be on that list. Hunter Henry, um, one of the Allens, a quarterback, and then I guess the rest had to be on the offensive line. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a team that, oh, man. The way that they were starting to starting to build at one point, you're like, oh, this could be pretty sustainable for them. And then, obviously, the way that it ended for Bielema in 2017, it just sort of fell off the face of the earth. Hey, Brad, but, tough loss. Yeah, I know. Do you know where, um, if they got our post-game meals in? No, nah, I'm not really sure. Listen, you're fired. Excuse me? What? We haven't, we're on the way to the locker room. Yeah, you're fired, man. What? How about... How- how about Bielema maybe going to get that defensive coordinator job with the Patriots? At least that's what he's telling everybody. He, a defensive coordinator? I thought he was an offensive mind. I don't know why I thought he's that. De- he's a defensive dude, but yeah. Good for right. him. All right. Tell us about our good friends at Texas Beat. You know, a lot of times I'm in the gym and people will be asking, like, Chris, mm-hmm. why are you how, do you, how do you go after it every single day? What keeps you motivated? What are you doing? And I say, listen, after the age of 40, a lot of men lose free testosterone. And that's why I use Texas Pete. Okay. I love it, and your wife will too. So there's that. What? Um, I've been watching a lot of Nugenics commercials. No, regardless, I am at home by myself right now. Uh, Bay is on the road visiting some family out in Oregon, and it's me and Queso by ourselves. Just guys week, all week. So I had to go grocery shopping yesterday, and I'll tell you what I did. I went down to our old friends at Publix, and I got in touch with our good friends at Texas Pete because, as you know, I'm not the greatest at cooking, but I'll tell you what I loaded up on. Eggs, chicken, Texas Pete. Three things you need. All right, you down with BTP? Yeah, you know me. Down with bottles of Texas Pete. So if you're trying to figure out something, a good recipe maybe for this weekend's Super Bowl, or I don't know, if you're just stuck at home with your new dog son all week and you don't really know any good recipes off the top of your head, boom, go to texaspeat.com slash tailgating. we got some great recipes, not only for tailgating, for the house too. Um, Texas Pete, always a man's best friend. You know the whole dog son thing. Don't get me wrong. I, I love queso, but don't don't do don't. I already did. I already did. I already did. Connor, you called me a Slytherin last week, so I'm not gonna take. I mean, I didn't call you a Slytherin. That wasn't me. What are you talking about? <laughs> you, was, you know what? You know, all... I, tell you, I tell you this. You come here by yourself for five straight days and get up at 5:45 a.m. with this damn puppy, and then she'll and still try to work. 
parent, dude. Stay-at-home mom. That's what I do. Stay-at-home pa. Regardless, let's move into something I'm really good at, and that's gambling. Uh, we are going to talk Super Bowl prop bets. There's not a lot of football on this week. We, um, as we all know, I love gambling. It's one of my favorite things in the world. Um, I'm going to have a full, what I'm going to call Degenerate's Diary, out next week. I'm going to do a special Facebook Live Super Bowl uh, Sunday morning. But I want to get into some talk, not about the game. I don't really care about the X's and O's, the Jimmys and Joes, whatever you want to talk about. All I really care about is the prop bets. And the Super Bowl is the biggest day of the year for prop bets. I love it. It's like playing craps. There's action everywhere. It's a blast. So I pulled up some prop bets. I want to go over with you. These are some of my favorites. I think some of the best ones for you to make some potential money off of. And I'm gonna. These are really good. I'm gonna, I, I did, that's not even the whole list. I've got six pages worth over here. So these are courtesy. These are just from our friends at Odd Shark. Um, we also have some other ones from all over the internet. Uh, I'm going to go over a few that are my favorites right now. And you tell me what you would be betting on. Okay, so the first one is. Okay. Now, the, here's the reason I love these these prop bets is you could be making money before the game ever starts. All right? Like last year, I hit four separate bets before the game actually kicked off. And that says a lot about me and my gambling. But also, right. it's a lot of fun. Like, you can bet on the coin flip. You can bet on, like, last year, my favorite bet of the whole year, would there be more points scored in the first quarter than the temperature was outside? The temperature was three degrees. It's easy money. Oh, yeah, because it's in Minnesota. Yeah. That's right. Oh, that was good. So, okay. All right. First one. Who will the Super Bowl MVP mention first in his acceptance speech? You can bet on teammates, God, family or family member, owner, city, coach, or does not mention any of the above. What would you take? Okay. So, I need to clarify. God slash Jesus? I, My Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Don't <laughs> say it like that, but I'm, yeah. I'm just saying. Patty okay. Sue's very proud of you. Then I'm going with that one. Shout out, Patty Sue. Um, I could easily see that happening. Although, the wrench in that whole thing is if Brady wins Super Bowl MVP, you know Brady's. That's not Brady's. No, game. that's just not. So I, I, I don't know. I, I Giselle's think that's a not listed here. Just yeah, you can't thank Giselle. Although it'd be funny if Brady didn't win MVP and somebody still thanks Giselle. <laughs> um, I don't know who would do that, but. Yeah, no, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with God slash. Yeah, that's a good that pick. One. That's a good pick. So that's that goes off at plus one ninety. Teammates plus one seventy five. Coach is like eleven hundred. City's a thousand. City a thousand is ridiculous because here's the thing, they're not even from a real city. All right, they're not gonna be like, oh, the city of New England. No, L. A. They've been there for like two years. No chance. Um, okay. Yeah. Shout out to the region. Yeah. Sh- <laughs> <laughs> shout out to the entire region. <laughs> that's perfect. Okay, so up next. Um, how many plays? These are these are real things you can bet on, by the way. And again, I have like fifty of these uh, printed off, but these are the, these are some of the fun ones. How many plays will Tony Romo correctly predict during the game? The over under is set at seven and a half. So this is where a quantitative bet is key yeah, over very a qualitative bet, because Romo, after the attention that he got in the AFC Championship, where he was. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, that was that was so fun to, to, to watch that game and listen to Tim call some of those plays out. He's he's going to be feeling himself a little bit, and he knows that people are going to be looking for that now more than ever. He's had t- two weeks of people talking about that with him nonstop, I'm sure. So he's going to be attempting to predict even more, which makes sense to take the over in this one because even if his percentage goes down, I think the amount of hits that he gets is going to go yeah, up. Yeah, I agree with that. That's, that's a good pick. I was surprised it was only a seven and a half. I mean, you talk about two plays per quarter. I mean, I'm pretty sure yeah, he got like five in a row on that last drive against Kansas City. Um, okay, so here's here's another one you can bet on. I didn't throw this one in there. 
from the Google Doc, but I'll mention it now because it kind of goes along with the next one, which is how many times will the broadcast mention Sean McVay's age, which is over at one and a half, and the same prop or the same number over one and a half, how many times they show his get-back coach? Oh, that's tough. Yeah, people are like, oh, Sean McVay's got a get-back Every, coach. That's so cool. But, I mean, Every college coach in America you. has them. Even Dabo's got one. Um, all right. So I'm, the over on this is the obvious play, but you would think it's the obvious play. But here's my only reservation okay. on that. Jim Nance knows what he's doing. Yeah. Jim Nance understands Vegas. Jim Nance understands that these storylines have been beaten to death. Yes. And he also understands that I'm not saying he's going to get a little a little tip ahead of time to be like, hey, mention this once and never again. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's well, and so here's the thing, but, though. Will they announce it if they win? You know they're going to announce it. But on the – oh, yeah, because then you'd be the youngest ever to win the Super Bowl. Oh, that's tough. I didn't think about so that. So here's what I'm thinking on this pick, and I'll, I'll, I'll interject with this. I think it's definitely brought up at the beginning of the game when they talk about the, the age difference between Sean McVay and Bill Belichick, which no is doubt. 17 years. No, it's got to be more than that. It's got to be 20-something years, right? It's yeah, 17 yeah, years between Goff bad. and Brady's age. That's what it is. Okay, so I, I definitely think they'll bring it up then. They will definitely bring it up again when they talk about Edelman and McVay being the same age and how they played against each other because of that storyline when they played in the MAC, a little MAC-tion. Yeah. And then if they win, I, I think either way you're looking at an over. Um, okay, here's one of my favorites, and, and I'm going to get – into some like actual nitty gritty gambling talk with, about this one. Here's why. There's some strategy that goes in the next one. How oh, long no. will it take Gladys Knight to sing the U.S. national anthem? Over under a minute and forty seven. Now the over is at minus one sixty. Okay, what do you think? I have not done homework in the same way that you have. But when I first heard that, I thought that seems a little long. But your research said that that's actually not long and that's short. So my initial my initial knee-jerk reaction was take the under on that, you get the adrenaline going. Uh, a buck 47 is is not that long. Um but I I can still see the under hitting on that, but I, you you kind of talked me into taking the over earlier, so I guess I'm hedging. Okay, so here <laughs> so here's here's why this is interesting to me. Last year we talked about this and it was it was 2 minutes and 3 seconds, okay? That was pink. Right. Pink is whether you like her or not, she's got a big, big voice, okay? So Pink, they said hers at two, two minutes and three seconds. She definitely went under. It was right at, I want to say, a minute 54, a minute 51. It was easy money. Um, I took the under in that one. But also, the under had hit in four of the past five years going at So the under has now hit in five of the past six. I think the only one that's gone over is Luke Bryan. Um, so I'm going to take the over. I, I agree with what you're saying with, like, you know, it, it kind of getting the... Uh, like the adrenaline, all kind of stuff. But this is Gladys Knight, okay? This is she's gonna hold those. She's notes, gonna hold yeah. those notes, and and she's not, she's accustomed to this, okay? I don't. Pink has never been on that kind of stage before, in my opinion. Gladys Knight kind of been there, done that. I think she goes over a minute forty-seven. But that's one of my favorite ones. Now here's a random one. We're not gonna talk politics ever on this podcast, but I will. This is just too good not to throw in there. And this is we got two more um, total number of Donald Trump tweets. On February third, the over under is set at six. Congratulatory tweet, guaranteed. That'll be there. Great game played, especially if the Patriots win. Especially if they win. But I'm gonna take the under on that just because. Don't get me wrong; he's gonna have the juices flowing. We know that Donald loves his Twitter thumbs, but 
I, I'm going to take the under on that because I don't think he's going to be live tweeting the game the way that everybody else will. Right. And six, six kind of seems like like a lot. I don't know. That that seems. I, there are days where I don't have six tweets in a day. So I, I sh- I'll do more research as it goes on. Like I said, on Sunday morning we will have a full degenerate diary. Hopefully nobody else has ever used that before because I feel pretty happy about the alliteration on it. Trademark, <laughs> trademark, Chris Muller. Um, anyway, so. I did some research on this already. When he joined Twitter in 2009, okay, because that's like everyone kind of talks about how he tweets a bunch and all that kind of stuff. This is a simple math thing, but I know from 2009 to 2015, when there was a story done about this, um, or I'm sorry, 2016, when he took over, uh, was like running for president, he had tweeted, I think at the time it was 37,000 times, which is an average of 11 to 12 times a day. That's a lot, That's a, but it's let's let's also remember it's a Sunday. And he also you know? wasn't president then, so it's just one of those things. It's it'll, it'll be interesting. I, I thought it was I thought it was cool. There was a prop bet. Now here's here's the one that I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out there, as if anybody wants to just collab on some money and go in on a, just an absolute take it to the bank, effing guarantee. Okay, lock of the year. lock of the year. And I'm not kidding when I say this. This is the juiciest. The best, and this is an all-time lock. There, there is nothing I've ever been more confident in in my entire life. Will Chick-fil-A, the Chick-fil-A franchise in Mercedes-Benz Stadium, be open on Super Bowl Sunday? Yes, plus 575, no, a minus 1100, which means you have to put down $1,100 to win 100. That is free money. Free. Free money. So if you've got $110,000, throw it down there, win yourself 10K, Buy yourself a bunch of Chick-fil-A Monday morning when they reopen. But that is, that's an actual prop bet you can bet on. Minus 1,100 on whether, there's no way. The Cathy's are not budging on that one. So, There's no chance whatsoever. No. None. Absolutely none. I, I, I am blown away that, 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 that anybody would ever take the yes on it. Connor, you, can, you I mean, can bet on whether or not somebody will run on the field, and it's plus 800 yes, which I think is kind of a good bet, and, and minus 2,500 no, right? Somebody ran on the field during the national championship game. This, I don't think it's that far-fetched, but, like, that was minus 2,500. Chick-fil-A? There's no way Chick-fil-A's going to be no open. Chance. It's only 1,100? That's craziness. That's the best bet you've ever thrown out it's there. It's so good. It's. I mean, it's It's honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm blown away, and I'm shocked that it's even available to bet on. What a time to be alive. There you go. What a time to be alive. Let's move on. Trayon Harris and Chick-fil-A. <laughs> what, a, what an episode we've had today. Um, okay, so we're moving on to fourth and wrong. It is that time of the week for us. That sounds weird. Um, yeah, we're going to do some fourth and wrong. Close out that might mean too much, and then i got to go get Queso out of his crate. So first question comes from our friend Gordon12Jake on Twitter. Which non-SEC team would you be okay cheering for? Now, I'm going to give a little asterisk next to this one because you're obviously a big, big 10 guy. So what non-SEC team or Big Ten guy would you be okay pulling for? The non-SEC team or non-Big Ten team, this is pretty obvious, and this might sound a little 2017, but that's okay. I'm still going to roll with it. It's FAU. When Lane wins, we all win. That's fair, yeah. It's better for the internet. It's fun to watch. We get the idea of... Is Lane going to come back to the SEC? We get all the great storylines. If he was, I was rooting so hard for them to be a playoff fixture this past year. Yeah. Had they just won that opener against Oklahoma, I know they came like a billion points <laughs> away from doing that. But if they had just won that game and we could have had that discussion, it would have been so much fun. So that FAU is the obvious choice. You remember that line was minus twenty? It was it was Oklahoma minus twenty, and 
It was, I think it was like 35 nothing in the second quarter, like nine minutes ago. Um, okay, so mine, I'm going to throw out a couple here, okay? And that is, I, I pulled for Oregon State now because of my fiance. Um, we actually got Queso some Oregon State <laughs> gear. She's the only dog ever to have that, I think. Um, I would, so I'm going to throw this out there. I don't want to have the response be, if you've only started listening to us recently, you're, I'm going to catch some heat for this. But if you've listened to this for a while, you've heard me say this before, Clemson. I still say Death Valley is the most fun uh, and, and energetic environment I've ever been to for a, a home game. It's awesome. They have a they have a DJ that just plays like pump-up rap music for like a full hour before they go in. They do the whole We Too Deep thing. I've been going to games there until I got this job every year for at least five years. They recruited me for baseball. I love going to Clemson games. Now, they've stolen away a, a piece of my happiness and joy over the past couple of seasons. So I'm going to say Georgia Tech as well. Georgia Tech right down the street. Yeah, George, you you always wear that Georgia Tech sweatshirt. It's right down the street. It's a it's a great campus. It's I mean it's a lot of fun. Um, it's a cool stadium. It's been, it's been around since like 1912. Uh, okay, so next question: Why does everyone go specifically for breaded milk when it snows? What are the actual keys to survive? That comes from Cr Howard on Instagram. That's your base. That's your base for for a lot of things that you can do when the power maybe goes out, the pipes freeze. You got bread. You're going to be all right. You're going to be full. You get milk. You get that nutrition. It's you know it's going to hydrate you. Yeah, you can have water, but milk. You get a little. You can do some more things with it. If if, if you're doing any sort of like portable stove stove top cooking, something like that. I don't know how that all works, um, but I think that's why people go to that because it's the the foundation for so many foods. I I've never understood this at all. This is a, this is a big southern thing. I think is like this. This shows you more how like we don't know how to handle cold weather down here because like even last year this happened i went to cvs to go probably get beer and sunflower seeds and it was like there's no milk and bread like fine i'm not trying to have a milk sandwich it doesn't make any sense like i and also if if the power goes out the milk is not going to stay very good for very long anyway so why are you getting milk just so you can do milk chugs have something to pass the time yeah beer beer and board games that's your go-to right there okay or booze and board games that's what i always like to do um yeah, or I'll tell you what you might want to do is get yourself a knife. And because, you know, when everything goes to, to blank, you're going to want to get out there and, and get some, some protein in your body. And you're going to have to do that probably with, like, rabid animals, squirrels, bears, uh, all sorts of stuff. You know, you've been out in the wilderness before. You get it. Um, oh, yeah. Number three, I think it's a perfect question for you. Uh, I think we've all been wondering. This is from Nick363. Do you have a go-to dance move? Have you ever seen Hitch? <laughs> We don't need no pizza. We don't need no pizza. This is home. They they got food there. They got food there. One, two. One, two. Right here. This this is where you live. Right here. Yeah, that's that's your standard. If you don't have a standard go-to, because the question is go-to dance move, meaning like you're not going to pull out the shopping cart. You're not going to rock the lawnmower. You're not going to. You can't be doing these things in public places without at least three or four or eight drinks in you. It's just not socially acceptable. So to me, if you stick with the one, two, you work off of that. Everything yeah. is based off of that. You need a constant, this is what I can do if I'm at a wedding. I'm going to be dancing. You don't want to be the awkward person that's sitting on the outside just because like, oh, I don't like dancing, whatever. Yeah. No, 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 no. You don't have to like go on, fall out, and break dance and be a hardo out there. But just have your one, two. You go out there, you have a good time, and then you work off that. You look at other it's people. It's weird you that hardos like break dancing too. 
They do. Why do they? I don't they? know, because it's like such a non-harder thing to do, but you're, you're spot on with that. Also, very proud of you for throwing out the drinks thing. Because that's a very... Now, here's a move I like to always do, and I'm going to throw this out there, and I know you're going to scoff at it, but it's true. I'm a phenomenal dancer. Um, and to prove everyone wrong, or prove everyone that I'm assuming, is, assuming I'm wrong, I'll put up a video later today on Twitter to show you this from Athens last year. But one one of my tricks is I like to glide around the dance floor a little bit. Like I get a little jimmy leg going. Um, and I will spill on purpose a little bit of that vodka soda out on the floor, slip slide, and just gliding around the dance floor. They won't let you do it at Johnny's Hideaway in Atlanta. That's one way to get kicked out of there. Uh, I learned that the hard way. But yeah, man, you name it. That like I used to really be good at walking it out. That was my thing in college. Um, you know, the foxtrot, the waltz, I could do it all, man. Mom made me gotta tell you. Is the is the stanky leg still a thing? It shouldn't be, but it still is sometimes. Yeah. All right. I can, I can get on board with yeah. that. I, I was about that. It's like doing the butterfly with one leg. That's not that's that's a good good solid move. The butterfly. Now that's that's a that's a treat. So all right, moving on to the last one here. I know, <laughs> I do you know what the butterfly is? I, I'll I'll send out a video of that later. Anyway, regardless, we'll do a, we'll do a SDS pod dance tutorial for everybody. Um, Let's best, yeah, fair enough. Best movie of 2018. That comes from Real Joseph Bender on Instagram. I'll let you go I don't first. See a t- I don't see a ton of movies, but I thought this one was was really good. I it's going to be cliche, but I thought a Star a Star is Born was phenomenal. Okay. I, to me, like. I, I thought Lady Gaga was tremendous in that. The fact that Bradley Cooper actually did real singing for it, did all that training to kind of, you know, mess up his mess up his voice and make him sound like a grizzled alcoholic yeah. country singer was, was pretty What's good. What's the guy that I, actually does sound like that? Everybody? No, who's know. the guy that's a big country? Chris Stapleton. Oh, Chris Stapleton's not... Come on, you can't... Grizzled voice no, alcoholic? I think it's a pretty good way to describe him. Nobody can hit those high notes on, on that amount of alcohol. There's no way. Every song, my guy, every I love him. I love him. Every song he sings him. is about alcohol. Yeah, he loves it. <laughs> that's true. That's very true. Um, that's um, fair. I will say, I see. I heard that was a phenomenal movie. I I texted Allie when I put this. on. I shouldn't even put it on the on the damn list. But I was like, hey, what was the best movie of last year? And she was like, we didn't see any movies. You maybe watch The Office reruns all the time or football stuff. And I was like, that's fair. Um, so I'm just looking at a list right here of the top movies. I will give you. A, a two that I thought were really great. A Quiet Place. I thought that was good. Did you Did you see? Yeah, it? with Jim. Oh yeah, yeah, it was a good movie. Um, and his real life in 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 real life, I didn't like that. I don't like that. And then so Black Panther, which I don't think it should deserved an Oscar nomination. I thought that was a little bit ridiculous, but um, I thought it was really really good. And I'll tell you what, I watched the other night that was awesome. Is Crazy Rich Asians? Man, that was good. Oh, that was a good movie. I saw that too. We had a like a sneak preview through my wife's company nice. to be able to see that. And that was sick brag. That was actually a lot of fun. That was that movie was pretty yeah. solid. Yeah, Aquafina, solid man, she's hilarious. She's very, very yeah. funny. She's kind of like. Uh, never mind. I was going to say something that was. <laughs> I was gonna use a bunch of points never <laughs> mind. God, I wish I would have. Okay, here's what I was going to say. Everybody who's seen Pitch Perfect, and if you're doing, oh, she's that like Amy. Pitch what's Perfect, her name? Yeah, yeah exactly. Fair. She's she's fat Amy. Yeah, from, uh, from you don't say it like that, but yeah, that's actually a very good point, Connor. Now it's derogatory Thank in several you. ways, but it's fine. Thank. <laughs> Gosh. All right, let's close with it. Might mean too much. We've got two quick ones to get to here. Um, so this first one, I want to. I'll, I'll get to the email that we got uh, last week in a second here. But first, Arkansas fans got arrested for vandalizing the Mississippi State statue. Bully, uh, ironically enough. The Starkville Daily News wow. reported that it was a 25-year-old from Fayetteville and a 24-year-old from Houston. 
One side of the statue, they spray-painted Woo Pig. The other side, they spray-painted 11-17. Of course, Mississippi State beat the pants off of Arkansas 52-6 to this year. And apparently, some somebody thought they were running off the score. Whatever. If you're an adult and you're spray-painting a statue, a mascot, if you're doing something like that, it might mean too much. Yeah, it always a lot. Never, never. What, what's your goal? I, I'm always curious what the end game goal of that is. It's like, all right, I guess you got your name in the newspaper. Cool. Good for you. You get arrested, uh, though. It's not cool. You got arrested. Your team lost 52 to 6. Sounds like a pretty bad year. Also, if it goes bad, they might come down, burn down a bunch of trees around you, dude. Don't do that. Good point. That's a really good point. Did not think about that. Um, so, this one we got, and this is an almost, it might mean too much, but I thought the story was still good enough and it just shows you kind of the thought process. Um, so we got this email sent to us from uh, Nathan Lankfit. Hope I'm pronouncing his name right. Uh, he said, hey guys, first of all, I love the pod. You guys keep me company on long runs as I train for marathons. Sick brag. Oh. And I appreciate it a bunch. I was thinking about your might mean too much stories and one came to mind. I'm an alum of LSU. Chris, your coach is beyond solid. <laughs> Thank you, sir. So in 2013, I almost did something that probably would have led to my dismissal, uh, incarceration, execution, something. I was in the Golden Band from Tigerland, and in 2003, I was a freshman. We won the BCS my freshman year, first year out of school, uh, pretty good bookends. It's like, right. We were in the tunnel of the Georgia Dome, about to go out for the halftime show, when I looked down at my own feet, and there was a crate up against the wall. Lo and behold, it was Ugga the dog, and his handlers were nowhere in sight. Maybe they had gone to pee? I have no idea. For a whole minute, I contemplated what my life would look like <laughs> if I put down my instrument and instead walked onto the field holding that ugly dog. Again, these are Nathan's words, not mine. I was seconds from doing it when I talked myself out of it and left him there. Sure, it would have been a much better story if I stole the dog, but I also probably wouldn't have a college degree from LSU if that would have happened. So there are trade-offs. Anyway, I love the podcast. He works for UT Austin. Um, he said, uh, my office is literally across the street from DKR Stadium, so words cannot describe how pumped I am to have my Tigers coming to town next yeah, fall. Fun. Keep up the good work. That was, uh, that was, that's a great almost it might mean to Yeah, man. You can't steal animals. Have you ever seen 101 Dalmatians? It never ends well. Oh, man. Yeah, that really didn't end for well. Real. I didn't think about that for, I didn't think about that for Nathan. The bad haircut? I imagine to be. Terrible stuff. What, what happens when. Because we've seen, thanks to Bevo, that jerk, what happens when you charge Ugga? But what happens when you actually pick Ugga up? Because this is this is dog that gets five star treatment. I mean, Apparently he not, not. He gets treated like most humans. But I I don't want to say maybe there was a person who was standing off to the side and was testing well, how who would try. Well, and see, this is funny too because this is 2011. Georgia was winning that game at halftime, 14 to 10, and. That was when LSU had like the best team ever. That you know, that was the nine-six year against Bama. And they had beaten like Oregon and TCU. I want to say in the same year, like their their non-conference schedule was crazy, but they were close in this game. I don't know if they were celebrating or like taking some shots to celebrate. I don't know. But Uga, yeah, he usually is not. It's hard to get to him. Maybe they're getting more ice for him because he likes to lay and chew on ice. But I, yeah, I don't know. Regardless, I gotta go get my Uga. So we gotta we gotta cut it now. Shout out to my guy, Cadillac Williams, who is the new running backs coach at Auburn. Super excited about that. Yeah, when I awesome. talked to him for I talked to him for like three different stories last year when he was at IMG. 
Um, and he had said that his, his dream job was eventually to, to return to Auburn. So very cool to see uh, he's getting a chance to do that and hopefully revitalize that, that ground game. So uh, shout out to Cadillac. Uh, we did not have any five-star reviews uh, to get to this week. Little little motivation yeah. to everybody. Give us a five-star review. If, you, if you know, you're trying to do some good in 2019, you want to do one nice thing a day, Make that nice thing be giving us a five-star like review, that. and then that nice thing tomorrow could be telling your friend to give us a five-star review. That's so true. So make sure that you're watching us on Facebook Live. Monday night, we have usual 8.30 stuff, and then Sunday, as we mentioned earlier, the, de the de Degenerate Diary? Degenerate Diary. Oh, yeah, I'll say <laughs> The Degenerate's Diary uh, coming out with Uncle Chris. This is going to be a lot of fun. There's some good bets, man. There's some a lot of fun bets to make. We're excited. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Make sure you're following us on all things social media at the STS Pod, at C Marler, STS, at TJ O'Gara. Coach Joe, I know we didn't get to talk to you very much this time, but what are we doing? It might mean too much. Talk to you next week.